I myself, uh, there's a time I was in the countryside, uh, I was eight years old, and I stayed with the camels for 27 days without drinking any water or any, any food. I was just drinking camel milk, and I was, these are the days when I was the most healthy, like the healthiest, and I was very strong and healthy and, uh, and hardworking. In our last episode, we discussed tea, among many other things, of course. I've always been a lover of tea, especially with the cold weather, the white snow, and the cloudy skies. The idea of clutching onto a warm cup of tea while being cozy under a blanket sparks joy for me. Now imagine a cup of hot steamy tea creamed with some camel milk. Or perhaps you're a coffee enthusiast and you would prefer to have a camel milk latte with Kopi Luwak, the most expensive coffee in the world, made from civet poop. Yes, I said poop. The fickle droppings of an animal. But what can I say? Another man's poison. I'm Alaito Nogunoteb, and you're listening to Behind the Aroma, a podcast where we discover love foods around the world and the bigger stories these foods tell. Sometimes when I picture camels, the image of the three wise men of the famous Bible story comes to mind. Now, whether they were on camels or horses or donkeys or their feet is hard to tell. But given that they were missioned by King Herod, a Roman clan king of Judea, according to the story, it's possible that they were indeed on camels as archaeological findings have indicated that camels were present throughout the entire Roman period and they were used primarily for transportation. There are two main species of camels, the dromedary camel or Arabian camel, which is single humped, and the Bactrian camel, which is double humped. I'm here today with Mr. Rosemi Jordi Rosemi, a Somali-Canadian who graduated from the University of Guelph and currently works at the World University Services of Canada. And we're here today to speak about camels. So thank you so much for joining us, Mr. Rosemi. Thank you, Olayton, for having me. Thank you. So to begin, um, can you please give us examples of your personal experiences with camels? Uh, yes, uh, thank you for the question. And as a Somali, uh, born in Somalia and raised in Somalia, uh, of course, that I have experience with camels, the same like any other Somali uh, who has ever been in Somalia. Uh, and the camels are all over the country, everywhere. Even though I lived in Mogadishu, the capital city, then on a daily basis, sometimes you see that camel and transport it for, from one place to another, just walking on the streets, you see them. And for markets or for poultry or for on export, so uh, you see them, you sm- you you feel their smell, uh, you see uh, on their presence how big uh, on the how big they are and the the animal, and uh, you see them going like in the numbers, like hundreds or closely thousands that uh, moving around, and similarly we also on uh, grow. Uh, within that the Somali oral literature that highly values uh, the camel in terms of uh, it is in uh, it is uh, on tenacity and strength in the Somali and semi um, and desert uh, and areas that where it can stay without water for 30 days and how valuable its meat is how valuable it is uh, milk it is and it is uh, uh, counted as part of the part of the family uh, in the Somali culture that what you hear that as a small child is that uh, the, the the camel actually is next to the head of the family because without a camel 
the life of the family will be almost uh, impossible. So growing with that and then seeing the camel, so you develop that connection to the camel. The life of the family would be almost impossible. A powerful statement. As Mr. Warsemi alluded to, both species of camels have unique biological abilities that allow them to survive in cold, hot, and arid conditions of the desert. Camels are able to economize with water and they have a high drinking capacity that allows them to drink as much water that they have lost in a prolonged period of time in a few minutes. With only about a 16% loss of camel herd compared to 50% loss of cattle herd during drought, pastoral communities of Somalia have used camels as the main reserve stock against environmental disasters. Another trait that allows them to survive difficult conditions is that camels store fat in their hump and abdomen, which acts as a source of energy during periods of poor grazing. The fur of the camel can act as coats during the winter, and they shed this fur during the hot summer months. Because camels can survive in those harsh conditions, communities that live in those regions have grown to deeply valley camels, making them an entrenched part of their culture. A crucial element of culture is food, and besides transportation, camels are also a source of food. According to a report by the Food and Agriculture Organization, camel milk is a staple food among nomads, and the top three largest camel milk producers in the world are Somalia, Kenya, and Mali. Thank you very much. So you mentioned something very interesting about how you spend 27 days as an eight-year-old only drinking camel milk. So can you tell us a bit more about that? Why were you only drinking camel milk for 27 days and you said that you felt your best and that you were still energetic, you could still do work. Um, just give us a bit more, I guess, detail on that. So this is what happens. Uh, basically, when it is a rain season, let's say it's, uh, the rain season is just starting, let's say tomorrow or like next week, uh, camels are driven from home. They are taken to a distant area where, where it rains. So normally two people drive the camels, and an old person and a young person. So the young person will uh, keep the young animal, the young camels, or maybe the camels that just give birth and they cannot walk long distance. Well, the old person, like most likely being a man, will keep the other, uh, uh, other types of uh, like camels in the forest. So we were driven very far distant from home and we had to stay there because at home like these camels will never get like enough pasture, especially the green pasture where we, they get some like strong nutrition. So we had to stay there for some almost a month plus. And the place is highland. There are no lakes, there are no rivers, there's nothing. And what is it rains? The water will sink into the soil. So you will not see water, but the place will be green. There will be leaves, there will be grass, there will be everything. But you will never see water. Like the water catchment area is very much limited. So that's why we have to stay. And the only option we have is to bring the carbon milk. And I think uh, I, didn't I didn't know it then how important it was to me. I was young. But like when I look back, I just remember that I was energetic, I was strong, 
and uh, I never felt like I was missing anything. Garad, once a camel man himself, would agree to this popular saying that goes, Water is soul, but camel milk is life. Camel milk has been shown to improve autism symptoms, and it doesn't evoke an allergic response for children with cow's milk allergy. Camel milk contains less saturated fats than cow's milk, with more iron and vitamin C, and it is often an opaque white color with a faint sweetish odor and distinct taste according to observations noted in the literature. It can be consumed fresh or sour, and because of its nutritional and medicinal properties, the demand for camel milk is growing. Although we are not aware of where you can find camel milk in Canada, there is another refreshing and nutritious drink we're sure you'll enjoy. At Laza Food and Beverages, located at 74 Ontario Street here at Guelph, Ontario, you can find five flavors of bottled hibiscus tea made with a secret spice blend, steeped hibiscus flowers, and sweetened either with organic cane sugar or honey. Hibiscus tea is also known as Karkade in Egypt, Sudan and other countries, Sopolo in Ghana, Zobo in Nigeria, Agua de Jamaica in Latin America, Goodhall in India, Russell in Australia, and Sorel in some Caribbean countries. It offers as many health benefits as the many names it bears, including preventing illnesses such as heart disease, diabetes, cancer, arthritis, and lowering high blood pressure. You can visit Lazar at your store or at the Guelph Farmer's Market on any Saturday you choose. Besides camel milk, camel meat is also cherished in parts of the world. The top three camel meat producing countries are Saudi Arabia, Kenya, and Somalia. In the eastern region of Ethiopia, specifically Jijiga, the capital city of the Somali regional state, camel meat was ranked first for taste and preference during a research study conducted by Kartu in 2004. We also confirmed this preference during our last research study with Somali communities in the GTA, where community members expressed their longing for fresh camel meat. In the study, the study by Kortu, they also noted that camel meat had less fat and a higher moisture content, with the adipose tissues containing less cholesterol than beef. Since camel is halal, and Adekule has discovered the nexus between halal and organic, arguing that 100% halal should also be organic, Camel meat becomes an even more nutritionally attractive protein source. Camel isn't kosher though, because despite that they chew their cod, they do not have split hooves. My meat tasting abilities are just as poor as my wine tasting abilities, so although I have eaten camel meat, I couldn't tell it apart from beef. However, if your taste buds are slightly more trained than mine, and your curiosity allows, you can explore the taste of camel meat at Salama Hut, where they serve a camel stew on their lunch menu. If you're more adventurous and you would like to impress your loved, and not so loved ones, at the family holiday dinner, check out the nearby store, Salama Meat and Grocers, for frozen camel meat. Salama is spelled S-A-L-A-A-M-A, -A -A -A, 
and they are located at 1987 Kipling Avenue, Etobicoke, Ontario. There's a thriving culture around camel, as demonstrated from its use as a food product. Other cultural practices surrounding camels include camels being used for dowries in Somalia and as a symbol of status in the Ogaden region of Ethiopia, where there's an exclusive tea house called Gebo Gebo, where, according to our research assistant, Gorad Muhammad, only people with at least 100 camels are allowed membership. In Saudi Arabia, they have a highly anticipated annual camel festival that features camel races and camel beauty pageants. But let's think about that for a second. A beautiful camel. Hmm. Anyway, these cultural expressions of camels have very tangible economic impacts as well. In a bid to fulfill the many cultural practices, the demand for camel grows. A matured female camel can go for 425 US dollars in the Ogaden region of Ethiopia, according to Gorad, who was born in Kabridahar. This is on the low end, as female camels can sell for up to 3,000 US dollars. He noted that some entrepreneurs buy low in Kabridahar and sell high in the Middle East because the Gulf states are rich. The Rasheda tribe of Sudan and Eritrea, known for rearing some of the fastest camels, sell their camels for about $1,525 to these Gulf states for the camel races where winning camel owners can go home with millions of dollars in prices. There's also income to be made from camel tourism during the camel races and pageants. I remember when my family and I visited Egypt, one of the highlights for me was riding a camel, an activity which we paid for. Further, a pint of camel milk can go for 18 US dollars, whereas a pint of cow milk goes for an average of 2 US dollars. And according to the FAO, the market value of the global camel dairy market is potentially worth around 10 billion US dollars. So we've mentioned a lot about camels, and if we are to summarize our conversation, I would like to describe our conversation as speaking about two main topics the cultural value of camels and the economic value of camels. Yes, we mentioned a lot about the cultural values of camel. Another interesting point is that camels have been used as currency in the past, and currently they are featured on a number of currencies, including that of Jordan, Qatar, Mauritania, and Libya. That is true, and another one actually is that of Eritrea, as someone pointed that out to me recently. So in discussing both the cultural and economic values of camels, it's making me think of a possible relationship. Is it possible that culture breeds economics? Wow, good question, Olaita. A philosopher called Diogenes of Singapore once gave a very interesting response when asked about his exile. His response was, and I sentenced them to stay at home. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So to answer, <clears throat> excuse me, so to answer your question, in a similar vein, yes, and economics breeds culture. That's definitely an interesting way of looking at things. So taking the initial interaction that I presented, we could argue that the culture around camels or the beauty pageants, the races, the consumption of camel meat and milk, the use of camels in traditional celebrations created the economy of the camel industry. True. We could argue that. We could also argue the latter that the camel economy upholds the camel culture. Because camel farmers and herders stand to win enormous amounts of money from camel races and pageants. 
those cultural celebrations will continue to be encouraged. In fact, if the Kamo culture dies, the Kamo industry dies, so consequently, the Kamo economy has a vested interest in keeping the Kamo culture alive. Another example that is close to home for me is the example of bananas in Uganda. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, there's a saying in Uganda that matoke is a miri, meaning matoke is food. Research has, has it that the per capita in annual consumption of bananas in Uganda is the highest in the world at 0.7 kilograms daily per person. Now, besides food, bananas have also been used to produce uh, beer known as tonto and a gin known as waraji, locally referred to as nguli. That's so interesting that you mentioned Waraji, uh, Miss Kajumba, because I think I've seen an empty bottle of the Waraji at a friend's place. So the friend is Ugandan, and I remember them talking about how uh, the Waraji is Uganda's pride. So that's so interesting that you mentioned that, because it just made me remember that particular scenario right now. Yes, Ugandans love their Waraji. <laughs> In fact, Waraji actually derives its name from the phrase Wajin. It's believed that the British colonialists used to supply this drink to the Ugandan soldiers. So Waraji and Tonto are sold to raise income, and it is also a social drink. Most importantly, this beer is used for marriage dowries. Other uses, decor uh, other uses of bananas are for decoration during ceremonies. Once you see banana plants around, you know there's a ceremony in progress. So bananas, just like camels, have strong cultural and economic ties to Uganda. It definitely sounds like it. And another example that comes to mind, because that's a very good example, Ms. Kajumba, so thank you for that. Another example that comes to mind for me is that of saffron. So about 90% of the world's production of saffron comes from Iran, and that's because the flower is suited to the dry, arid climates in Iran. Now, being that it's a native plant, a culture has also emerged around saffron, and this is evident in the many dishes that are made with saffron, such as chilau kebab, chilizard, and sohan. In ancient India, saffron was used to indicate royalty, as the highest esteemed individuals would dye their clothes with saffron, and they would use saffron perfume as fragrance. Currently, in Spain, there's an annual saffron festival that's called Fiesta de la Rosa del Azafran, and I hope I pronounced that correctly as I'm practicing my Spanish. Good. <laughs> and actually, economically speaking, saffron is the world's most expensive spice, costing up to 5,000 US dollars for one pound. Wow. Yeah. Another plant that demonstrates this perceived relationship between culture and economics are the tulips. Now, tulips hold a very significant position in the Dutch culture. And they derive their name from a Turkish word, dolbad, which means turbans because of the turban-like shape of the flower. Tulips were brought from present-day Istanbul to Holland in the 16th century. This time period was described as the golden age because the Dutch middle class was growing. And with the introduction of the exotic tulips, tulips quickly became a symbol of status and prestige. That is very true. And I remember, and based on some of the readings that I've done, um, the, the pervasive culture around tulips created a ravenous demand for tulips. 
and the demand outstripped the supply of the plants because the plants would take a number of years before the first bloom would come would come to be. And this excess demand combined with other factors resulted in aggressive price hikes that resulted in the infamous tulip mania of 1636 to 1637. And at its peak, one tulip would cost, or it was worth around 54,000 US dollars in present day value, which is crazy. Oh my God, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's a very good example, lighter. And even today, tulips are a major contribution to the Dutch economy. Maybe not a four-year college tuition worth per, per tulip, but yes, they still contribute through tourism attraction, as well as the sale of the actual bulbs and flowers. Mm-hmm. Wow, culture and economics. Uh, thank you so much, Ms. Kanjumba, for the very insightful conversation and also for the examples you shared. Those examples help shed light on this relationship between culture and economics that we observe to be present. Besides these anecdotal illustrations, the body of literature has also explored this interaction between culture and economics. Research by Akerlof and Cranton investigates how identity, a person's sense of self, affects economic outcomes. While in the paper Economics Breeds Culture, Authors extend that concept, concluding that culture determines the short-run equilibrium values of economic variables. But in the long run, culture changes in response to the underlying economic fundamentals. Thus, we conclude that the relationship between culture and economics is interdependent and bidirectional. Culture impacts the economy, and the economy likewise impacts culture. The, uh, the, 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 uh, the camel, in fact, in Somalia, is in the Somali culture is the most important creature other than human in the Somali culture. Because uh, in, in Somali culture, if you want to say someone rich, you use the word camel. So uh, if you say someone, well, this person has camel, even doesn't matter if that is rural areas or even here in Canada, to say this person is rich, is wealthy. In Somali, you say that this person has a lot of camel, which and Interchangeable is this person is wealthy. So uh, to say someone, someone is poor, you say that this person lacks camel, this person doesn't have camel in the Somali normal conversations. So that shows that how important camel is in the Somali culture, economically. That is so interesting. And I'm just wondering, how would you say that person has camel in the Somali language? Oh, uh, Okay. And when you say that, if you want to say that something you curse, you're going to say that So it is kind of means, gel uh, means, which is a camel, means that wealth. Okay. Okay. And do you mind saying it one more time for our audience? Yeah. That means, uh, that means that person is wealthy. That means doesn't have uh, any wealth. Wonderful. I think that's a perfect way to conclude our discussion tonight. Thank you so much, Mr. Warsemi, for your time and all of the insights you've shared with us today about camels. My pleasure. Thank you. Behind the Aroma brought to you by the ECV Ontario Research Group at the University of Guelph, our producers Dr. Bamudela Dekunle and associate producers Kristen Kajumba. The show is hosted by me, Olaito Nogunote. I am also the digital editor of this episode. 
Executive producers are Dr. Bamudela Dekunli and Dr. Glenn Filson. Researchers and fact checkers are Kristen Kajumba and Olaita Nogunote. Written by Olaita Nogunote and Kristen Kajumba. Podcast artwork by Olaita Nogunote. Special thanks to Shock Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, Rosemi Jerde Rosemi, Gorad Muhammad, Oluwashi Yadenola, Laza Food and Beverages, and Salama Hot. Del equipo del Grupo de Investigación ECV Ontario, Feliz Navidad. From the team at the ECV Ontario Research Group, Merry Christmas.